Well, good afternoon, everyone, both here and out on the phone lines. Good to have another Sabbath day. These things come regularly and uh, always welcome. I want to draw your attention to a couple of articles that I read actually this morning uh, that are quite cogent, quite good. They put everything pretty much in perspective. These are on the Steve Quayle site, which I think most of you are familiar with, if not all of you. Uh, Steve doesn't write much on there himself, but he posts, he posts a lot of good articles almost daily. And uh, he knows what's pretty well going on in the world as well. But these two articles were put up by Natural News. Uh, Mike Adams is the one there. And Mike is very, very, very well appraised of what's going on as well. Uh, he didn't write these two articles. Well, he did too. He wrote articles, but he also had some videos in there. Uh, these were just, uh, I think, numbers two and three on Quail this morning, the articles. One is called Countdown to Collapse of the Petrodollar. And uh, gives a very good analysis of what's happening now. And then he has a video on down toward the bottom of what Mike wrote uh, by a, a fellow called Ben Armstrong. I would not heard of him before, but he had a, a short video there. I think it was like 14 minutes or 14 to 20, somewhere like that. I don't usually watch videos much because they take too much time. <laughs> but I, I kind of went through that one. And it's called Biden's Collapse of the Dollar Looms. Uh, Biden is absolutely collapsing the dollar on purpose. And he goes through and gives a very good analysis on that. And then the article after that one is again by Natural News. And it's called Analysis, Russia is Winning. And he goes on with more title, but that's how it starts. And then he has a video there that is, in my view, must-watch. It's by a fellow named Gonzalo Lira. He is from Kharkov, Ukraine. And in that short video, he's not a he's not a real dynamic uh, speaker. He doesn't push you like some of them do. He just lays it out in a matter-of-fact way what exactly is going on. And it is a message to the American people is what it is so that we might understand what is happening. And he titled this video, America, You Are About to Be Poor. It goes through and shows why we're going to be poor. And it is inevitable. It is coming. It can't be stopped. I also saw an announcement that Joe Biden has signed an executive order to create a digital dollar. Now, we've been seeing uh, that this is inevitable, going to happen someday, 
And there are some countries already in the world that are using a digital dollar. Uh, every, all of your information is digitized and everything about you, basically. So we are now working at introducing that in the United States. I would not be at all surprised if I learned that it is already pretty well done, but he's just now issuing the order to do it and making it official that it's coming. Now, what that means to Bible believers is that 666, the mark of the beast, is here, and all your vital info and your capacity to buy and sell will be on that digital uh, identification. And it'll be worldwide. It's already starting in the world, and it'll be here, and it has been announced by our government that they are going to do it. I want to take a few minutes here to give maybe a little clearer picture that we can understand as to where we are as a nation. It's easy to read that America is bankrupt that we've created all these trillions of dollars, but it's hard for most of us, I think, to grasp the position we're in as a result of what we've done. Now, these two videos I told you about and Mike Adams give you a pretty good picture of this, but I want to put it in terms of an analogy that uh, makes it simple for us to grasp where we are. Now, when you receive a credit card from your bank, that gives you license to spend. Now, you may have a limit on it from your bank, 2000 or 5000 or 40000 or $100,000, depending on your credit situation and your job and so on. But they will allow you to just go in and use that card and buy anything you want. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Daddies give them to their college kids and they run off and start spending at college and run up a big debt, which they may never pay off. Uh, but you can spend on there and it feels good because you can buy things but you did not have the cash money to buy. Put that card out there, man alive, you can take home all these goodies and show them off to your friends, the things you just got. But there comes a point where somebody's going to send you a bill, have you noticed? And you're then obligated to pay back that that you used and they're not only going to do that, they're going to make you pay interest on it until you do. And if you don't, there will be other repercussions. Now, at the same time, you may have borrowed money to buy a house, and you're making a payment every month. You bought a car, too, and you're making a payment every month. And then your job gets outsourced across the pond somewhere, and you can't make your payments anymore. Now, you don't own that house yet. You don't own that car yet. You still owe money. Somebody just lets you put a little down payment on it, and we're going to let you pay it out in time. But suddenly, you don't have the dollars to do it. 
you lose your job, you break your back, whatever, car crash, and you can't pay. So now what's going to happen? They'll come and take your house away from you. They'll take your car away from you. And if you've got some credit card debt on top of it and you can't pay anything, then you have to declare bankruptcy. And you turn over everything you have except the shirt on your back, basically, to your creditors. Now, in England, when you got yourself in that position before America came to be, they would put you in debtor's prison because you couldn't pay. And as you sat and rotted in prison, there was no way you could pay. So you stayed there till you died. Unless you had a relative who had money and really loved you, and they might come pay your debt and get you out. That didn't happen much either. So you wound up basically a slave in prison because you couldn't pay your bills. Now let's expand that a little bit, not just houses and cars, but what if you're a farmer? And you buy all this land, and you don't have it paid for, and you've got to have these crops coming in every year and sell them to make your payment on your land. What if you have a bad crop year or two, and you can't make your land payment, and you can't find anybody, since you're already in debt, who will loan you any more money in order to pay it? So what do they do? They come and take your land. Then you move to town and get a job at Taco Bell, or whatever. Because you don't have land anymore. You borrowed money to buy it, you borrowed money to farm, and you can't pay it, so they just simply take your land. Now let's look at America. In 1974, we were given a gigantic credit card with unlimited spending possibilities. That credit card was the Arabs agreeing to only sell oil in dollars. Any country in the world had to have dollars to buy oil. So we could print dollars and we could send them to those countries and they could buy oil. They could also buy American-made products, which we used to have. And they could spend that dollar on something of value, like you can take that credit card and buy things of value. So we were able to run up trillions and trillions of dollars on our petrodollar credit card. Yours might say Visa or MasterCard. The U.S. dollar or the U.S. credit card says Petrodollar. Not a literal card, but same thing. Now, I've been telling you for ten years or more that when the Petrodollar went away, this nation would collapse. The dollar would collapse. We are right now in the middle of that happening. And our own government has done it to us. In the past, when someone would try to bypass our petrodollar credit card, 
we would bomb them into oblivion and kill their leader and say we were doing it for democracy. No, we were doing it to keep the petrodollar or the world reserve currency in place because they were trying to bypass it with their own money or gold, sell oil with their own money instead of using our dollar. But the fact that they had to have our dollar made it of value to them, right? So they didn't mind getting dollars. Now, we have created trillions of dollars, and there's more dollars among the nations of the world by far than there are dollars in the United States. We shipped our manufacturing overseas, and the only thing we have had to export, basically, that was of any value to the world was our dollar to buy oil. We don't manufacture much anymore. And in fact, our country is in deep trouble because we've depending on, been depending on other people to make everything we need. And now the supply lines are disrupted and all kinds of problems are coming up. And we can't get what we need and we can't make what we need anymore. So we're in trouble on that scene. We also can't manufacture anything much anymore that anybody else wants. <clears throat> they can get it from China or India or Thailand or Japan or anywhere. They still make things that they can buy. But so far, they've been buying those with American dollars because that's what we exported in terms of foreign aid, in terms of gifts, in terms of uh, buying oil, and the world has just been awash with dollars, and our credit card bill has been getting higher and higher and higher. Trillions of dollars we've printed, and people have them. Nations have them. China has probably a trillion dollars over there. And it's getting to the point they don't have anything to spend them on here. The only thing they can spend them on is somewhere else. Now, Russia and China and the Arabs have been negotiating for quite some time to bypass the American dollar and spend their own money with each other. Now, that's equivalent to you going to a yard sale and you have money and you buy something from your neighbor. Your neighbor won't take your credit card. He doesn't have the apparatus to do it, but he'll take your cash. Now, we don't have the apparatus to back that dollar with anything that somebody wants anymore. The only thing we had left was they could use those dollars to buy oil. And now we sanctioned Russia and shut them off from using the dollar. So whose fault is it if Russia then goes to China to buy stuff? Whose fault is it if they go to the Arabs to buy stuff? Because as long as they could use our money, they were willing. But suddenly they can't use our money anymore. So now they're starting to trade among themselves, which shuts the dollar out. And since 
They won't be able to use the dollar to buy anything of value anymore. They won't want a dollar bill. They won't want it anymore. You, we can't pay our debts anymore. Now, on a personal level, we went through and showed how they come get your house and your car and your land. Now, what is the world going to do when they have all these worthless dollars that nobody wants? Can't spend them a coin. Arabs will sell them to anybody with their own money. And nobody wants them anymore. Now, if you were among the nations of the world, and you had billions of U.S. dollars, and you couldn't spend them, nobody wanted them, what would you do? What if you were a U.S. citizen, and you had a bunch of dollars that you got from your employer, and you went to the store to buy food, or you went to the store to buy fuel, and the store said, we don't want your dollars. Now what are you going to do? You're going to get upset. But that happened on a nationwide basis where there wasn't food. You couldn't spend your dollars for food because there wasn't any food. The Bible says you throw it in the street. That's what a dollar is going to be worth. Throw it in the street. Not even good toilet paper. It's too slick. So you begin to riot. You begin to try to get food somewhere else from your neighbor. Wherever you can find food, you'll kill to get it. America's going to go into civil war. Now let's go back again in this picture. <clears throat> what do the nations do when nobody wants the U.S. dollar anymore. We can't pay them off. They don't want it. Can't use it. I can use my money for a while. I don't need your dollar anymore. What's the natural direction this is going to go? They're going to say, you owe me. I'm going to take your houses. I'm going to take your cars. I'm going to take your land. Because that's the only thing you have that's of any value to me. Now, there's one thing more that's of value to them that they'll take as well. Your bodies. Your land, your houses, your cars, and your bodies. If you're old and decrepit, they don't have any use for your body. So they kill you. They put you in slavery. Your kids go to the worldwide pedophilia sex ring. Some of the young women, maybe even young men as well. And then they take those who are able to work that aren't too desirable for that activity. And they get their money back out of you through forced labor. Through slavery. Kind of like the... A debtor's prison and used to be in England, except here you'll have to work, not just sit in prison. The Bible says 
they use their bayonets as a an abortion tool. Very crude, but very effective. Because pregnant women aren't worth much, either as workers or sex slaves. This is where we're going. Russia, China, India, Brazil, a hundred other countries, the Arabs, are agreeing now to use their dollars instead of American dollars. But they're upset that they can't do anything with the American dollars they have. So they're going to come after us. This is our national bankruptcy. We fill the credit card up with trillions, have no limit on it, and suddenly it's not worth anything. The money's not. So how are we going to pay them back with something they don't want? They don't want a dollar. They don't want a week old newspaper. We don't have anything to pay with. So we're going into war and slavery. And that's what the whole world wants. This fellow from uh, Ukraine explains a little in there about how people feel toward the United States. Coming from him, it has some credibility. Our credibility is gone. Isn't it interesting how close the word credit or credit card and credibility are? We have no credibility left with the world because we're not creditable. Our dollar is becoming worthless. And that's what this getting rid of oil for dollars is all about. Meantime, it's getting more worthless here for you and me, is it not? Costs more to buy food, costs more to buy fuel, to get into the place. It takes lots of dollars to do anything. And then pretty soon you won't have enough dollars, and then pretty soon after that there won't be food or fuel anyway. So you throw it in the street. What these videos do, literally, is explain in very simple terms what about 2,000 scriptures say that we've been examining over the last years. They just put it in easy-to-understand perspective. So when it says America's trillions in debt, how are we going to pay this? We'll go bankrupt. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to us until you put it in terms of you put that out there, and you bought with it, and you bought with it, and you bought with it, and now it's become worthless, and you're going bankrupt as a nation, and the only thing we can pay with is our bodies and our land. It's all we have of value left, and they're coming after. That's where we are. When he says we're going to become poor, he's right. And he says, this is not a long road we're going down. We're not swerving back and forth anymore. We're headed toward war on a very straight road, and we're headed for economic destruction on a very straight road, and we're going very fast at this point. We don't have long. He said six to 30 months, but maybe shorter. And the way it's coming apart at the seams right now, it could very, very easily be shorter. 
can't say for sure how long events take to occur. But it isn't very far off now that they've rejected the petrodollar. And the Arabs are in the middle of doing it. They haven't completely done it yet, but they're almost there. And working very, very rapidly at it. And Biden's calling them names, and they won't answer his phone calls. And they will talk to the Chinese and the Russians. So, we're there. These prophecies from God are very, very real. I listened to a portion of a sermon on the radio by Herbert Armstrong last night. I don't know what vintage it was, but it was probably pre-60, at least. I don't know. Loma's still there. She died in 67, and uh, Ted had already taken over the broadcast pretty much when I went to college in 62. So somewhere behind that, he was preaching the sermon on the radio. And he was talking about the horrors that are beginning to happen in the world and the end time and how we'd better get ready for the end time. And he was unaware at that point that it was as far away as it was. But he understood enough from the scriptures to know which direction it was going. And it was quite eye-opening to hear him say that some 60, 70 years ago when nobody had a clue. But God used that man to give a certain amount of warning and to see what was coming. Not in its entirety, not fully like we see it today and are experiencing it today. But God used him to open this door and call a bunch of people that he could winnow through and find to finish the very end time work, which is coming up very, very shortly. The remnant has to flee ahead of the Assyrian army, according to Jeremiah 50. We also, uh, it says in Zephaniah, gather yourselves before the decree of financial destruction hits. Uh, Both those things, the military and the economy, like this Ukrainian says, we're on very steep, fast roads now. It's almost here. So God is going to start making his move fairly soon as well. don't know exactly when, but it can't be too long as fast as we see this thing developing. (coughs) Putin is not going to lose in the Ukraine. He staked his whole reputation and the future of Russia on it. And if he has to go nuclear, he'll do it. He is not intending to lose the Ukraine. And we are pushing and pushing and are going to get ourselves in trouble. And we're already in trouble with our credit card, and now we're in trouble uh, militarily. So this thing is not too far from coming down. We are about to be very, very poor. And there will be food riots in this nation and people killing each other shortly. Jeremiah 50 and 51 also talk about civil war and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. So we're going to have our so-called leaders killing each other. That's civil war. Not very far off. 
Now let's get to the book of Zechariah again. We're down to chapter 12. We saw that in chapter 11 last week, God is upset with the ministry. He's upset with the way people have been living spiritually. Just as he tells us in Revelation 3 about Laodicea and how he spews us out. And here he talks about <clears throat> some churches falling, the shepherds being punished, and how he will feed the poor or the remnant of the flock who come to him when he stirs them to come build the temple in Jerusalem. So that chapter is still talking about the church primarily. Even the idle shepherd down there might be from the church, although it could be the false prophet in a larger sense, because these things are all written first to the church, as I've said 10,000 times, and then second to the nation. Now, chapter 12, this is a burden. The burden of the word of the eternal for Israel, says the eternal. Now, it's interesting the way he puts this. He doesn't say the burden against Israel. He doesn't say the burden against Philistia or somebody. This is a burden for Israel. Now, it's a burden, then, that Israel has to carry. But as we go through here, we'll see that there are answers to this. Uh, it may not be, it'll be a heavy burden, yes. I mean, what you and I are seeing and experiencing what I've just been talking about as this nation goes down is burdensome, and it's heavy, and it's hard. And we're already paying at the gas pump and the grocery store and other places. It'll get worse. The burden of the word of the eternal for Israel, says the eternal, which stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Now here he's laying background for what he's about to say, and he's saying, I am the authority. I'm the one that made all this. I'm the one that made man. I'm the one that breathed the spirit of God into him to make him more intelligent than the animals. In other words, pay attention. This is the God of the universe, the sovereign of everything, talking. And here's a burden for Israel. <clears throat> Listen up. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Now, there's an implication that people are going to come against the church and against the nation, both, in, a, in their due time, due course. Make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all people round about. That means there's something about Jerusalem that is going to be scary that will cause trembling. Now let's understand, before we get into this any deeper, right here off the bat, that there is a power arising in the world today, the beast power, the beast and the false prophet, 
And they are going to, for 42 months, have the times of the Gentiles, and they will rule the world. The new world order is in the Bible. Not a conspiracy theory. Uh, it's stated in here how they'll rule the whole world. So that power is arising. What we have seen here in the end time is the church come to a little bit of power, okay? We were all around the world. We were preaching and teaching, and people were learning some truth. But nobody was really afraid of us, were they? I don't think so. Herbert Armstrong took Waterford Crystal and various things and gave them to world rulers, and they were friendly with him and had dinner with him and had talks, and he told them they ought to learn to give instead of get, and so on. So we were never a power that anyone was afraid of. We were a factor, let's say, with some rulers of the world. We were a factor in that we were telling the American people the way things are and will be. And now we have arrived. But we were never fearful to them. Now, he's talking here about a world power that is coming that might even be not entirely in our own consciousness and understanding. We see the beast arising from the sea right now, don't we? The sea is the people. We see COVID. We see world war. We see all this power that is being generated, and we see a power build up by a conspiracy of nations against the United States, and essentially Israelites. The Gentile nations are against Israelites. Western Europe, the United States, Canada, wherever Israel is. They want us destroyed. And these world powers, I didn't say this a while ago, but they recognize that the United States of America, its constitution, and its people and their guns are the only thing standing in the way of their world government. The petrodollar has been standing in the way of it. So it's all, everything that they want to do is hindered by America. Now Jeremiah also tells us in 50 and 51 that our leaders will shake hands with our adversaries and make deals with them and sell us out. Now that's what Biden and his handlers are doing with Russia right now. They're selling us out to Russia by putting these sanctions on Russia. Now Russia turns to their real friends, China, the Arabs, wherever they can make alliances, and they are going to come up with their own form of currency that they can all use again. There's over 100 nations that have already signed a pact that they will do that when the right time comes. And the right time is now upon us. So our own leaders are selling us out. It ought to be obvious. They're trying to blame Putin and Russia. This isn't his fault. We're the ones that pushed into the Ukraine years ago. We're the ones that are pushing financial sanctions on them. His is just a response. 
<laughs> we're doing it to ourselves, and just like the scripture says, our leaders are selling us out. They take money from the Chinese and put their own bank accounts, and from wherever anybody will pay them to do what they want them to do. They're traitors. They're treasonous. All of them. Trump included. So where's the other power? We have this power arising and we're watching it rise. There's another power that you don't see yet. And it is the power that is going to make all the nations fear before Jerusalem and be a burdensome stone for all people. What power is that? That's the power of the church. Remember Isaiah 41? He says he'll make the church a sharp, threshing instrument. Micah 4 says the exact same thing, where it tells us to go to, out of the city and into the wilderness and there be delivered, and I will make you a sharp, threshing machine. He's speaking to the church, to the two witnesses and the remnant of the people that come to them to build Jerusalem and the temple and to go out to the world for three and a half years and scare them because the nations can't do a thing about them. He says, I will give power to my witnesses there in Revelation 11 and they can send plagues wherever they wish and the governments of the world can't do a thing about it. They have no power against them because the power of God's Spirit is going to give them the power to do these things. So there's going to be two major powers in the world. One is going to be almost all the billions of people that are on the earth, and the other is going to be a few thousand people from Zion. And all those billions cannot defeat these 10,000, or 7,000, or 15, wherever it is, 10% of what was in worldwide. One has the power of the devil and billions of people. The other has the power of God and a few thousand people. Reminds you of the story of Gideon? Same kind of thing. God is going to give power to the church. We will actually be the leading power on earth. You grasp that. That which Herbert Armstrong did from God opening his mind and leading him, and then the destruction because we weren't what we ought to be and we're in no shape to do the job that God wants the church to do. So he blew it apart and he's looking for repentant people who will come and serve him wholeheartedly and he will give them the kind of power that Stalin and Hitler and Obama and Putin and Xi and all these people want. They'll have their world ruling empire, but they can't stop the church until the 1260 are complete or three days before. Then they'll kill them. 
and all they'll party. They'll all send gifts to each other via internet, via TV, via hologram, or whatever they got by then. We finally killed them. Now we will rule the whole world. And three and a half days later, who comes through the clouds? <laughs> the real world ruler who was giving power to that little bunch of people in Zion for those three and a half years. <laughs> if he could give them that kind of power over the beast and the false prophet, what can he do himself? Every knee will bow before him. I think we need to grasp this picture that I'm trying to draw, maybe in a clearer way than a more focused way than what we have to understand truly what God intends to do with his people just with you now I brought those other scriptures in the sharp threshing machine the power to do plagues and so on to show what this verse 2 is talking about I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, spiritually speaking, is of the church first, of the physical nation later. God is not going to make this nation a cup of trembling or that funny little country over in the Middle East a cup of trembling against the world. What can those Jews and Edomites over in the country of Israel do? Nothing. Maybe throw a few missiles at Iran, and we may have to come to their aid and bomb Iran ourselves before we get our horn broken. But they can't do anything, and this nation can't either. Because as I was talking about at the beginning of this, we're headed down the road to economic and military ruin and slavery. They're going to take our land, our houses, and our bodies. If our bodies are worth anything to them, if not, they'll just kill them, turn them into fertilizer. But God is going to make the church a cup of trembling to the whole world. Why is he going to put a wall of fire around us? Why is he going to put a covert over us to protect us? Because the whole world is going to be trying to kill that few thousand people. And he won't allow it. And he will have them come out from Zion every day to throw it in their face that they need to obey God. And they can't do it. Think about it. So they'll gather their armies around. They'll try to do something, and they can't. <clears throat> the church, then, spiritually speaking, not just an unfocused Jerusalem and Judah, but the church, which represents Jerusalem and Judah, will be a cup of trembling. <laughs> a burdensome stone for all people. Is it a burdensome stone when you go into a city and say, repent and obey God, and they say, no, would rather kill you, and you turn their water into blood and give them a dose of fleas 
or whatever. That'll make you a couple trembling before them. And they will try to form a siege against Zion. And in that day, verse 3, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. He's talking the whole world here. All people. The little church, the little flock, that Christ is calling and will be calling shortly together will be a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. That's the kind of power God is going to give the church. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Cut them all in pieces. They can't do a thing about it. Years ago I pictured this, you know, maybe they'd have an airplane and they'd fly to different places. You think those nations are going to let them land that plane there knowing that those guys are going to come out and tell them what for? No. But they can't stop that chariot in Ezekiel 5, can they? <laughs> they may go back to Zion every night and go out in that chariot of fire like Elijah the type of Elijah there and Moses, every day to a different place. Travel like lightning around the world. But Zion and Jerusalem will be the pivotal point that everybody has to watch. So if those guys were just going out like a rock band, let's say, night to night in different cities, it wouldn't point back to Jerusalem and Zion. But if they fly back every night, that's going to rivet the whole world's attention on where Jerusalem and Judah are. And Mount Zion, then, is going to be a burdensome stone to all people and cut them in pieces. Even though the whole earth be gathered against it. That's what's coming. In that day, says the Eternal, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. <coughs> now, of the people, is talking about the people of the earth here. Isn't that what happened with Gideon? They showed their little lamps. They shouted, and the people went crazy. They went mad. They grabbed their sword and started whacking anybody that was near them, including the guy that was sleeping beside them. Went nuts, though. And they grabbed their horses and fled in the night, jostling and scared and not being able to see, and most of them died. Now, that was a burdensome stone, to those people, the Gideon turned loose on them. There's the power of God. Remember the case where the guy says, who's going to help us? And Elisha says, oh, there's chariots all around here. we got more than they do. And he says, open this guy's eyes, Father, and let him see what's going on. And he saw all these chariots and horses of God. Whoa! His eyes lit up. <laughs> 
I couldn't see that. You know, there's a lot you can't see yet. I'm talking about stuff you can't see yet. You can picture it in your mind, but you can't see it yet. It's not quite here. But God's Word says it's coming. You know, how many people in the church understand this? How many could read this and understand what this is talking about? I never heard it in worldwide, did you? I haven't heard it since. But if you put all the scriptures together, it just makes, this makes perfect sense. This is what God's about to do. And it isn't far away because we already see the beast rising out of the sea, getting power among the people. And America is losing its power, which is what has to happen in order for them, the Gentiles, to take over for 42 months. Israel has to be out of the picture. And that's where we're headed fast. So, their armies can do nothing against this power of God that he gives to his little flock. Can't do a thing about it. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, and the Lord of hosts their God. Now, he started this chapter out by showing his omnipotence and power and creativity. And here it says, the leaders, this would be the ministers in this case, of Judah, the church, shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. That's where the power comes from. He made it very clear to Zerubbabel in chapter 4, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the eternal. He's just repeating that here. They'll look and say, this is coming from the Lord of hosts. It's the only way they can have that kind of power. How do seven, eight, ten thousand people go up against a few billion with all their warplanes and their helicopters and their bombs. and I mean, how long, if God didn't protect, would it take? I mean, yeah, we've got secret places in Zion here, the Bible speaks of, where Christ will meet his bride there in the psalmist's arms. But once this thing goes berserk, how many bombs would it take to destroy Zion Canyon? Just one. A limited nuclear explosion would take care of the flatten the whole thing. Maybe two, who knows? But it wouldn't take much to wipe out 10,000 people who were living there. But God said He'd protect, and He would be our strength. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheep. And they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand and on the left. Now there is a new, sharp, threshing machine that he tells us we're going to become. Did you ever see a threshing machine out in the field? You don't want to get in front of one. You'll come out with little, little bitty pieces, jam up the works. That's the way the leaders of the church are going to be to the world. 
and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. Now, why does he stress in her own place? Because the world thinks that Jerusalem is over in the Middle East, and it's not. It's here in Ephraim, where God had it originally, before Israel sinned and got taken across the Atlantic in ships, as he says in Deuteronomy 28. And he let us come back, and we screwed it all up again, and now he's going to have the nation destroyed, except a remnant thereof, just as he's already destroyed the church, except for a remnant thereof. <clears throat> you want to know if God's prophecies happen? Well, it happened to the church. So the only thing we can conclude, conclude is it's going to happen to the nation next. And now, here it is, coming upon our nation. Petrodollar's history. It's already got cracked in pieces. And we're going down, and we're going down fast. But God is going to inhabit Jerusalem again in her own place. The original place, which has been des desolate for many generations now, and no man lived there. Never happened to that one in the Middle East. But the true one has been desolate and no man living there for many generations. There's not anybody living on that hill today. No one. Verse 7, the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. Now, he's eventually going to save the nation. He says we'll be reduced, Ezekiel 5, to less than 10% as the nations of Israel. And he's going to save them in the millennium. But he's going to save Judah, the spiritual church, first. They'll be protected throughout the Great Tribulation and changed or resurrected when Christ returns at the end of that three and a half year Tribulation. So he's going to save them first. <clears throat> and David will be their king. I think the leader of the church is also in type David. So that's what we're talking about here. In that day shall the Eternal defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. The feeblest will be like David was. He could take a sword or a spear or whatever was handy, a slingshot, and he became a mighty man. And his men became known as mighty men. Now, when God says he's going to restore the church in Isaiah 35, the lame and the deaf and the blind, and he says he's going to give us deer legs and all that, that all comes down to this verse right here. The power, the strength to thresh the whole world. 
as they please. And the world can do nothing about it. Putin can't. Z can't. Whoever the beast and the false prophet actually are as humans can't. And Satan can't stop them either. He that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the eternal before them. When you're given the power of God, you can act on his spirit and his power to thresh the nations and put plagues upon them, and they can't do a thing about it. So the feeblest of the remnant will be like David. And the leadership will be as God. As a type of God. Because the power comes from God. That's where it comes from. You think you could be as strong as David at your age and your place right now? No, not with an awful lot of reconstruction. Even at our best, when we were 25, we weren't like him. God is going to give us an arm up. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Jerusalem picturing the church here. Later on, it will picture the Father and the Son coming down with a heavenly Jerusalem. And whatever nations follow Satan and come against it will also be destroyed. So there's the first fulfillment in the church, and then there's the later fulfillment in the millennium. Um, it gets interesting here. I will pour upon the houses of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Now, he does say there in Isaiah 41 that he will uh, give us grace in the wilderness. He tells us in Micah 4, Get out of the city, go dwell in the wilderness, and there I will deliver you. So here he's talking about that deliverance and how he gives grace to his remnant people to give them this kind of power over the nations. And of supplications, the spirit of supplication. In other words, will be tuned to God and before go before Him and present our needs, our needs for power, our needs for ability to uh, thresh the nations. Whatever we need, we can go before God in supplication, and He will provide. So grace unmerited pardon, and answer to prayer. Answer your supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Well, now it's talking about giving the church power and strength and then we talk here about mourning. Go back to yet to last week's sermon, chapter 11. And we saw down in chapter 13, I mean verse 13, 
that those who would truly seek God would be willing to give the price that he paid, the 30 pieces of silver, that they would apprise him greatly, that they would cherish him, and the price that he required of us is denominated here in silver, but it means a lot more than that. His life, his death, his resurrection, his eternity, his ability to give us immortality and eternal life. We prize him greatly. So he's going to give us all this kind of power that he's talking about in chapter 12. But there will also be a great morning, a morning of repentance, because uh, it will be the morning of Hadad, Rimon, in the valley of Megiddo. We know Megiddo is going to be the scene of a great war and a great destruction. And why would we mourn? Okay? We would mourn because we, as Isaiah said, sigh and cry for the abominations of the earth and all the sin that is here and wanting to see this over, so we mourn. And we also mourn for Christ to have his sacrifice used in our behalf to forgive us and to immortalize us. He tells us to pray that you be worthy to account all these, uh, to escape all these things that are coming. So you look at yourself and you realize how short you fall of the standard of the Father and the Son. So you mourn to be more like Him. You mourn in hopes that His sacrifice will be applied for you and you won't be rejected. So even though God gives the church power and strength, what else has he told us? He's told us in Zephaniah to come out of the world before the decree of destruction, but to be humble and to be meek and to be righteous. And everywhere he gives that kind of instruction, he tells us to be humble and to be meek and poor of spirit, and take care of the widow and the orphan, and love our neighbors ourselves, and love God. Those are the things he tells us to do when we all fall short. None of us have it made into the kingdom of God. Now, we can read of the power and the glory that he's going to give the church, but if we get the big head and bang over it, and think it's us, we're in deep trouble. We always have to give the glory to the Lord God of hosts, because that's the source of all our power, of all our dominance, of all of our abilities, of our strengths. This little bunch right here, given another ten years, nearly all of us would be dead of natural causes, much less unnatural ones. God's going to give us deer feet and power and might against the whole world and Satan. So yes, he tells us about how the leaders of the church will be like wood or be fire to wood in the world. But then it talks about mourning as well. So what we have here is a situation 
where we're thankful to God for all that he's doing, but we still mourn our lack and look to Christ, who was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and his death and resurrection for us. So we look forward to that, and we mourn that we do not meet the standard as we should. And the land shall mourn every family apart to itself, the family of the house of David, their wives, the family of the houses of Nathan and their wives, of Levi, their wives, the family of Shimei apart, their wives, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart, each as individuals. You don't come as a team to God, husband and wife, and both are saved because of the other. No, you come as individuals before God. That's why husbands cannot legislate over their wives power beyond what God actually gives. They are to be the leader in love and concern and blessing and obedience to God, but they're not to domineer. They're not to say, walk three steps behind me, woman. It isn't that kind of relationship. It's a very close, personal, loving relationship that a husband has to have in order to lead a woman properly. She's not there just to do his will because he wants done this. Now, God commands her to be in obedience to her husband. Yes, she looks to him as her leader. But he can make it awful tough for her to do that if he's a jerk. He has to be loving and kind and forgiving and sweet and nice to her, as Christ is to his bride to be. A man has to be a real leader, not just do it because I said so. That isn't leadership. That's ridiculous is what that is. That is not the way to rule a family. You've got to lead the family. So he puts salvation then on the husband and on the wife. A husband cannot get his wife into the kingdom of God, nor can a wife her husband. They both have to grow and overcome, and they have to help each other in doing so. That's what the marriage relationship is about. So there'll be a great mourning in that day, uh, because we need Christ. Let's, uh, let's see, I don't guess I, did I read that part? the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. I did read it. That's when I went back to last chapter about his price. He paid the greatest price, not just 30 pieces of silver, but gave his life for us. And he is the central figure here. So even though he is going to bless and strengthen and empower, we still look to him as Savior and Redeemer 
and for forgiveness and grace and mercy and the things that we need to make up the difference between what we are and what we ought to be. So it is a combination of meekness, poor in spirit, and yet recognizing the power from God to do things in God's purpose that require power over the nations. What happens to most people who get in power in the nations of the world? They get vain, egotistical, ornery. They get impatient. Sometimes they kill millions of people for their own purposes. Now, God says, I'm going to give you the kind of power that the nations and the leaders of the nations have had and more. But you have to remain humble and meek in looking to your Savior and the Redeemer because without Him, all is lost. You might have power for three and a half years, but if you're not changed at the end of that time, it was all for nothing, all vanity. So we have to be very, very careful as God gives us blessings and strength and power to be sure we are humble and meek and use it correctly because the people of this earth have not. And Satan has not. You see why he put the church through what he did? The confusion and destruction and frustration that we've gone through in order to refine us in order to make us humble and meek and willing to obey and to seek Him with our whole hearts because we can't make it and be part of His kingdom without so doing. He looks to a righteous man, to a humble and meek. He resists the proud and goes far from them. The meek and the humble He draws to Himself. So what he's telling us in this chapter is both I'm going to give you great power and at the end he tells you you better use it properly because people don't tend to and need to be encouraged to so do and to submit to him. So that's the lesson then of chapter 12. Expect great power and be spiritually ready to use it in a godly fashion.